Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Welcome back, Ritual House listeners. We're back for another episode. Oh, I am just thinking a lot about imperfection, how each one of us is perfectly imperfect. We are a one of a kind gift. I think that's what most spiritual traditions will say, including Judaism. There are many texts that allude to that. Um, my favorite is that we are created Betzelem Elohim, which means we are created in the image of God. And I love that because we have this godliness within us, but then we're always going to kind of mess up in some way because that's what it means to be human. I've been thinking a lot about this because this Ritual House podcast is in process. It's an experiment. I felt a call to do this. It, it's not a rational experiment, meaning I didn't sit there as my regular self, which is type A, Virgo, firstborn girl. I like to lay out my plan before I actually do the things. But as any of us know that is on a spiritual path, which is you listening to this, we know that that is not how life works out, that life is much more of a process than a product, and that there is quite a bit of imperfections in those processes that we hold. And that is what this podcast has felt for me. It has felt scary. It has felt exciting. It has felt important. And it has felt like I don't know what I'm doing every step of the way, that I'm feeling my way through. And I wanted to share that in case you're someone that is also trying to feel your way through life. It's not a simple way to live. It's not a simple way to be, especially in our hyperproductive system that we dwell in. And I want to just say, I see you in that. I see us in that. And I'm really glad you're here allowing me to find my way through as I stumble and as I learn and I learn how to have these conversations, how to try to create more depth and meaning and become a better active listener and ask better questions. I, I'm just, I'm grateful to be here to do this with you and to allow for you to allow me to be the authentic version of me with integrity as I find my way through. Today's episode with Brendan is quite special. He's quite special and you'll get to know him. So I won't share all about him. We we talk about a lot of different things. A lot of what I was just talking about. Brendan is someone that walks the walk of a spiritual leader. He listens to the many calls that he's had in his life that don't always make the most sense to him like on paper, but feel right. And he trusts them and he allows for himself to be open to what is next. I loved our conversation around that, around parenting, around ego, around faith, around trust. And my favorite part was really, and I hope that you walk away from this conversation inspired as I am inspired to really think through what is the next evolution for us as humans, religiously, spiritually? What does church, synagogue, et cetera, look like? In a spirit from a spiritual lens and the wellness world of LA, what is what is Bible study look like? We ask these big questions, Brendan and I, and Brendan really bringing in his ideas for what does it look like for us to build 
the new way for spiritual life to be ritualistically contained for us all. I'm still asking these questions since the conversation, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Here we go. Brendan. All right. Welcome, listeners. We are here at the Ritual House welcoming in our guest, Brendan Henderson, the founder and director of Heno House, which is now in Los Angeles. He is a former media executive who has served in several creative leadership positions, including vice president of digital video for GQ, vice president of content and innovation in North America for Google and Target, before deciding to live a life of healing. Um, Though he was building a successful career, as you just heard, in media, he realized his purpose was not being fulfilled, so he decided to change that and left his job and the life that he knew to learn about healing practices that can change people. He wanted to help people and wants to help people not only to feel better, but to do better and actually to be better. Having experienced the power of altering his brain through mindfulness and sound, he has devoted himself to traveling the world to understand how cultures are harnessing these powers and bringing those learnings to his clients. As a healer, he is trained in Reiki, sound meditation, quantum leaping, and flow neurology. Brendan's energy and intention brings people to a calmer and more regulated state of being. He's extremely passionate and devoted to not only being a practitioner, but also an educator of healing principles as well. Outside of his life as a healing practitioner, he is a proud dad, a Denver native, and a playlist curator. And I'll just add to that incredible bio to just say that I felt super called to ask Brendan to be on the podcast. And I think to the point of his bio sharing that he is calm, there is something about Brendan, and I'm just getting to know him, that is quite healing just by him being who he is in the world. And I'm just really excited to get to know you more and to have the listeners get to know you more and your story and all that you have to give in the world. So thank you for being here and welcome. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, sure. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm, you know, I am in a place where everything that is coming towards me, I feel like I can trust. And so this is just one of those things where I'm very excited to just energize by the collaboration and yeah, interested to, I feel like I don't get to know you as great during this. So maybe after, but uh, no, just very blessed and grateful. Thank you. Yeah. Don't worry. I sometimes can't shut up. So, you know, I'll, I'll work on it for today. I love what you just said, actually, the trust part mm. that you just are, I don't know, opening yourself up or you have been living a life of trusting. And I know we talked about that at some point. I'm so curious. What is that? How, how do you do that? <laughs> for those of us that struggle, I know I'm working towards that personally. Like I trusted myself to DM you but yeah. that's not my natural inclination. How how do you do that? What do you do? I'll say two things on trust. 
Yeah. One is uh, something that I picked up in therapy, which is trusting like people or situations isn't so much an external thing. It's more about trusting that you'll be okay no matter what happens. Mm. And so sort of not trying to decipher whether somebody is trustworthy or whether something is a scam or whatever, but more fortifying yourself to say, no, okay, if I get got or, you know, whatever happens, I'll be fine. Um, and that's almost like a surrender to higher power to, you know, whatever you believe in to say, like, it'll be fine. So that's right. one part of it. And then the other thing that I feel more and more now is kind of expanding on, I guess, the secret of the law of attraction in that, like, you don't get what you ask for. You get what you show up as. Mm. And so I actually heard, I think his name is Michael Beckwith. I heard him say once, like, vibrationally, there's no difference between having and being. So you don't get what you ask for, you get what you show up as, you have what you are, right? Like right. whatever you're putting out, you're getting back. And so one way to establish trust is just be true to yourself and making sure that you're showing up as whatever you want and trust that it's gonna come to you, it's, uh, it's physics. Hmm. So. Yeah, and I bet you for some people, for most people, I think it's really hard to trust, you know? But you're someone, I would argue, and I don't want to share what your experience is in the world. I want you to share it. But just from talking with you a little bit, you seem to, before becoming a healer, which I know is a tricky word, so becoming a practitioner or mm -hmm. spiritual yeah. coach, um, sound bath, you know, all the things that you are, all the identities that you hold, it seems like you had that trust piece built into you. And so a question I have for you is if you can go back to little Brendan. Yeah. I don't know, age before nine. Okay. Um, if you <laughs> yeah. go back to little Brendan, do you have like an early memory of spiritual trust? Yes. You know, actually, my mom always tells a story of me when I was five, actually. And for context, I grew up in a church. I was always going to church. And even when my parents kind of weren't going to church, I felt at home in a church. There was always mm. a youth group that had a basketball team or something that drew me there. And I do think constantly hearing about there's a, a being out there looking out for you makes you much more trusting, I guess, especially yeah. as a child. And I mentioned that because as the more I interacted with people who maybe didn't grow up with such a strong f spiritual foundation, I find that their trust is less. Mm. And whether, you know, what you believe, I'm not telling people to believe anything or even necessarily saying that the building of church is great or anything like that. But there is something to every week somebody's telling you, hey, you're the head and not the tail, or hey, um, there's a hedge of protection over you. like. There is something to that idea of faith coming by hearing. And so like the more you hear something, the more you believe it. And so I think that did does have an effect and did have an effect as an early age. But so I say all that to say, I remember at five years old, I don't remember this as much as my mom does, but I've heard it enough to say I remember it. But at five years old, my mom's car wouldn't start. And I do remember that happening. And um, we were in a parking lot and she 
is distraught. You know, her car's not starting. She's had a lot of issues with this car. And for whatever reason, I felt called to ask her if she believed. Hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I believe, but I need you to believe. And if you believe, your car will start. And she kind of looks at me and just like, okay, yeah, I believe. And I was like, start the car. And it started. Oh, and wow. so had that car not started, I may have not had as much trust, but it right. did start. So, yeah. But it did. Yeah. Wow. And that you had that sort of innately in you as a young child, which I often think actually young children have a lot more of that, but like that mm-hmm. you not only had it, that you actually shared it with your mom in that moment. That's quite powerful. So you've had this trust in you for a long time. Yeah. So interesting, you grew up in the church, but that's not your spiritual practice today is going (laughs) to church every week. No. No. When did that stop for you? Um, I feel like it stopped in waves. Mm -hmm. So I remember I would still go to church and maybe not every week through college, at least my first couple years. And honestly, as much as it was like a spiritual feeding, it was my literal like, there's one church I went to that had a college-based service and they gave food and they sent you home with like food home and I was eating one meal a day. So I was like, this is great. <laughs> need this. Yeah. And I would go and I feel like I definitely wasn't an every week church person by the end of my college career, but I would go. And then in Chicago, I kind of, it was honestly like related to my dating life. Like I feel like the women I dated were very grounded in church or had a church home and I was new to the city of Chicago. So I kind of just tried to find out, but I realized I don't like a lot of churches and I don't like a lot of way that people give the message. The preacher, like whoever, whoever yes. the person is, like the Whoever's way. leading it, the way, because I grew up in a church in Denver, at least in my high school years, that was very empowering. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you the, uh, so I grew up in a Christian church. So if the Old Testament, it would be like, let me teach you the Hebrew. If the New Testament, let me teach you the Greek. So you can oh, understand like where this is coming from, yeah. how another translation of this may uh, be possible. And, you know, think for yourself type of environment. And that sparked my curiosity. It got me engaged. And so people who didn't approach it from that lens, yeah. um, I found... Most- most of us don't spiritual leaders yeah. approach it from right because it you have to rely, you have to trust your congregation a lot or your 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 people a lot to do that and our and, egos are a little bit out of control but anyway keep going sorry yeah i speak for myself sorry so as a rabbi a, no, i shouldn't speak for all no, formal I think, organized i think people. that that's for i mean <laughs> chris rock has this great thing of like yeah the ego is not great but it's the ego that got you on the stage. It's the ego that said, hey, I could I could help here. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I totally. could do something. So I, I think that that's right. But the biggest thing that I found that distanced me from the church wasn't the teaching and it wasn't the building itself. And there's, you know, well documented how many issues have gone on within churches and things like that. But it was the assumption that I was coming because something was wrong that ultimately like, push me away mm. it felt like you must be here because it's not going right in your relationship or at work or something you feel downtrodden in some sort of way and it's like no i feel great 
I just wanted to be here. I just, and I realized that I was going because I thought I was supposed to go. Right. And I was right. You know, both my parents were raised Christian and went to church. And I realized like, oh, if this is, if the frame of mind is going to be about lack, I really don't want to participate in this every week. So I stopped going. Hmm. I was just reflecting for myself how, you know, growing up Jewish and being Jewish, our synagogue life, I shouldn't say all, but the synagogue life in the liberal Jewish world, just for context, is not really as we're not centered around faith or surrender in the Mm. same way that I know other religions are. It's not like the primary operating system Mm. for us. So I didn't get that from synagogue, that like faith or that trust or whatever. I mean, I got a lot of things that were awesome from from that, and it's part of the reason I'm a rabbi, but I got that faith and surrender business from my grandfathers, both Mm. who were super different. My papa was Southern Methodist, my mom converted to Judaism, Mm. and my anxiety was a Holocaust survivor and super ultra-Orthodox Hasidic. And so I got like their faith. It's just interesting as children what we like pick up on and how we get it. And that's how I got mine. And I just like, I'm just thinking about your sound bath because you're doing that weekly now, right? Like, like I was doing it weekly. I paired, I paired back to monthly, but I was doing weekly on Sundays because I did feel like people who have adopted the now sort of like punchline LA, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Um, (laughs) and I, I get it, but there's something to, and being a ritualist, there's something to rituals and doing something religiously Mm. that it actually sends a signal to your system, to your brain. Your brain is, I won't get too much in like biology, but there's a part of your brain, the basal ganglia, that is like, it is triggered by certain habits. And so you can train yourself to release certain things or feel certain ways based on what you're doing on a consistent basis, right? And so to not have religion and to walk away from that means to not have church which for a lot of people was the only ritual that they were still maintaining from whatever text that they were like sort of raised in and i was doing the sound bath weekly as a like okay if you're not doing that at least come here and let's try to build some people who come regularly and we can build some community and i'll burn incense and it'll be a sort of a clearing for the week because i did think it was important for people to have like a touch base it's like sort of like trying to build a church from scratch. Not that many people showed up all the time and it really, the it was better in theory, I think. No, um, it's so good. Yeah. I want you to do that. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know what? If you're listening to this podcast and you come to the sound bath, I will, I will have it. I will, I will host the sound bath. But, you know, to be honest with you, probably two Sundays out of the month, I was the only one there. One person was there and I would come regardless and i would play an hour regardless because i just felt like i wanted to honor the space but i felt like people kind of not took it for granted but when it's weekly it's always i can come next week or i'll just come to the next one and so now i've started to do monthly i get it no it's it's okay you don't have to do it weekly (laughs) although i just i love this image of you know i listen i'm part of organized religion like we go to synagogue I, i don't know weekly but like we go regularly and i'm a rabbi and but I also find a lot of deep meaning in 
sound baths and in actually healing, like real healing for my soul. It's really important part of my life. And I, I think we're at this like moment as human beings to figure out a new way to access communal spiritual life that isn't necessarily from a religious standpoint. I don't know if you agree, disagree, but I, no, I really I, feel like we're there. I completely agree. And I've been trying to figure out what is the next evolution of church. And so that mm. was my like, let's try this. It won't be the last thing that I do, but church or synagogue or temple as an idea of people who are like-minded coming together on some sort of regular schedule to commune with each other and to show love in a way that honors their idea of infinity. That premise still matters. Yeah. And whether the corruption of the church that you grew up in turns you away or the religion you don't connect with, whatever, that thing that pulls you away, I completely understand. But the idea of communing with like-minded people still matters and right. building some sort of ritual around it is still powerful. It's still, and by the way, predates all of these religions that we've mentioned here. Right. And so <laughs> like, yes, it's a very primal thing. And when I go and sit with like indigenous cultures, they are doing this. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to figure out what does that look like in 2024 yeah. in LA? You know what I mean? So... I do. I do. I'm asking the same question and I'm excited to have you on to like think through it because yeah. we're all sort of doing our own thing, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's the way like we sort of are curating our own experience of spiritual life and each one of us has different needs and those change and shift. But like there is something missing from the communal or collective experience of doing them together. And you're, I guess, doing it. Like, do you do you ever like want to go back into a church? Do you feel like that call because of that weekly? Not necessarily what, but that rhythm, I guess. I don't miss church in that way. But what I would like is a spiritual book club. Like that idea of like Bible study almost. Yeah. But on my bookshelf, I have every book that I can get my hand on from mm -hmm. the Bible, Bhagavad Gita, Torah, Quran. Like I have everything and I'm seeing like Lotus Sutra, everything I, I've heard of, read, thought about, sound healing books. And I'm like, oh, this is all saying a lot of similar stuff. Somebody has read more than me or knows more about this, you know, this corner of it than me. How can we get together? and build sort of like rhythm around that, that really interests me. Um, I haven't been putting that out in the universe as much. Maybe I should start mm. doing that. Yeah, yeah. I love Tracking that. Tracking that. Samyapo, help. Yeah, okay. I, I love that. I think you're right. There's something that's foundational, primal. I mean, if you look at all the mystics, right, they all kind of basically <laughs> say the same thing. They just have yeah. a different religion on them, right? Like, yeah. it's foundationally the same. It is. I was, uh, when I was introduced to the practice of Buddhism, I remember telling my mom was kind of confused about it. I'm like, just think of Jesus as a Buddha. And she's like, what? And I'm like, well, the whole point is transcend a life of suffering through existing in love to the point where you transcend into, is, you're not in the cycle of life and death anymore. And I'm like, that's what Jesus did. So it's really the same thing if you if you let it be, you know what I mean? If you force it not to be, then it's, 
<laughs> it's not, but you can just let it, you can let everybody be saying the same thing and then realize, oh, wow, if the premise is just God is love, how do I operate at that frequency to get there and put that out and everybody's cool. Totally. But it's, you say it very simply because it's your truth, but for so many, there's so many, oh, I don't like the word trigger, but um, I don't know, obstacles maybe to get there for people. There's obstacles to get there. And I don't mean to belittle those because some of those are very real and they go back generationally. The way that faiths have been weaponized and the idea of like even something in this country, like a manifest destiny is you, you know what I mean? Like there's certain ideas that aren't religious or spiritual at all that are presented in a way that make them seem like they are, that it is hard for people to to even want to get to that point. Right. Um, so I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I have my own baggage with it because I'm I, I hear you speak and I I'm like, yeah, sign me up for the book club. And also, can I like lead a book club with you? You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm like all there. And then there's a piece of me that's, you know, I love Judaism and like the richness of the depth um, that my I think all religions hold. But this is the one that is mine. Yep. Right. That really can go there's something that's like deep and important and i wonder what does it look like i think it's a beautiful richness to study all of them and to incorporate all of them especially with as you said so beautifully with love being that frequency like holding it you know i'm there but then there's a piece of me that is like what will happen to the richness of this one beautiful tradition or or and then all the traditions that have beauty in them and so I, I, I go back and forth as someone that can sort of step into all the worlds, but I hear that a lot from people. So I'm curious if you ever get that too. There's this, there's something I usually share um, in my sound bass, which is just using sound as an example, because I think there's these truths and then there's these ways to describe the truth. Mm. And so I always tell people in sound baths, if you look at the way that creation is described from inception, there are some texts that say, let there be light. There are some texts that um, a song is sung. And there are some texts that say there's a big bang. But everybody is agreeing that sound made it happen. Mm. Right. So there, even in the depth of where you are, there's it's based on a truth that is universal. And so I think the what I want to do is find people who are in the depths of where they are and have people understand like, hey, what does your faith, what is your practice, what is your tradition think about this concept? Where, like, tell us your creation story and us be able to see, oh, wow, look at that. Like, who are the, the mystics, the avatars, the prophets in your tradition? What did they teach? Oh, interesting. And be able to see like that to me is the beauty of it. And the reason why I want to do a book club about it is because I know that I personally don't have or won't make whatever, however you frame it, the time to go deep into every single thing. And so having people who are and maybe, you know, I choose my path, you choose yours, we have other people in. And then if you have if you can add that depth then we can all get, you know, a piece of that and get to see the threads. That's kind of what I envision with that. I love it. It's like a yes and. Yes and. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm all about the yes and, the both and. <laughs> yeah. 
Gosh, we need much more of that in the world. Yeah. That is for sure. You studied Reiki. You're a Reiki practitioner. Yes. What Reiki master? What, 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 which one? Reiki What's practitioner. The... At least in Japan. I'm not sure how it works everywhere. Well, I want to like lift that up for a second yeah. if I can, if I may. Yeah. Like, I, I also am a Reiki. I don't like the word master. At Reiki <laughs> practitioner. We'll, yes. we'll just say that. You don't meet... A Reiki rabbi every day. I'm very grateful to be on this podcast. <laughs> Actually, my my friend was like, your handle should totally be Reiki rabbi. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's a whole story. But I am. And the thing is, is most of us find Reiki here wherever we're living, right? Somehow. You went to Japan to study Reiki. Yeah. I want to like did. lift that up. Okay. Because that's, that's unique, I think. And and I would love to hear about that a little bit. So I'll tell you why I went to Japan and then I'll tell you about my experience in Japan. First of all, I have been influenced by Japanese culture in ways I didn't understand since I was a very small child because the Nintendo comes out and it's like all oh, this Japanese design. And then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is like based on this Japanese cult and like all these things I don't know that are permeating my psyche and like my design sensibility and all these things. And so I've always felt attracted to Japan. In third grade, I had a Japanese teacher come in and he would teach us how to do origami and different phrases. I still know how to count in Japanese because of what I learned when I was eight or nine years old. So I've always felt connected to Japan. But the other reason that I felt was really important is I look at the healing world and not only do I not see anybody that looks like me, I don't, or the wellness world or the sort of like, however you phrase it in like the mainstream, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual movement. I don't see people that look like me, but I also don't see representation for the cultures from which these things come. So I have friends who say, oh, you're in like the wellness world now. And when they say that, it's paradoxical because they see a white woman doing yoga and they think, okay, that's what wellness means. Where's your room there? Mm. And so it's very important for me as I'm learning these modalities to go to the source cultures to learn them so that I'm at least able to uphold the tradition behind them to actually understand the cultural context from which they come and be a translator that I don't want to call anybody out because it's not like sort of an attack on anybody, but I want to make sure there's integrity in my translation. So I'll just take credit yeah. or like responsibility for my piece of it, which is um, if I'm going to be in it, I want to be in it all the way or in it right or whatever the phrasing is. So when it comes to learning Reiki, it's like, you got to go to Japan. So, so and you um, went. And I went to Japan. That's lots of integrity. Sorry, lifting up the integrity. That's there. That's not in the world. I don't know if we're in the same world, but in the world you're yeah. talking about in the wellness world of Los yeah. Angeles. That we I live in Los Angeles in the wellness world. Like we're wellness in the same world. world. <laughs> yeah. That is not common. That is very uncommon. Yeah, because here's the thing. And this is my thing, I guess, with the word healer all of these things come from a tradition where the ability to practice is earned it's not hey i spent a weekend with this person and i got a certificate you know what i mean 
Oh, and so yeah, I, I didn't refer to myself as a Reiki master, not because I have a problem with the word master, because I do. I understand that in the context from which it comes, I actually am not a Reiki master. In Japan, you only get the level of master if you are going to teach it to others. Like I have a Reiki master. I was taught from a Reiki master, but I don't teach Reiki. I'm not a master of Reiki to the point where I've, I, I've mastered it enough to teach it to somebody else. So, I'm not either. I'm not either. So yeah. I'm not either. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I think though. But they tell you. Yes. That idea of like, you're, it feels good to say I'm a Reiki master now. Maybe to some people, not to you. I was actually making a face. No, I, it's but, actually the only time I've ever said it. I wish I could take it back. That's how I feel. No, but, yeah. and I don't mean it to. It's, no, it's I don't feel it from you, but you. I, yeah. I'm aligned with you in what you're yeah. saying. But keep saying it for sure. It's, it's just the the idea that I want to understand this thing. And for all transparency, I went to Japan and learned in Yamanashi, which is halfway between Tokyo and, and Fujisan, Mount Fuji. And I li lived for about a week in like a, um, maybe a little over in a very traditional Japanese house in a very small town where they, they dye things with the indigo plant and they grow all their own food. And it was like very, I just can't even describe the emotion that I felt being there. And I got very close, probably as close as I can get given the like sort of generations that have passed to the sort like so my master was taught by someone who was taught by one of the original pupils of the guy who sort of discovered Usui right but the person that I learned from is French born she's she was married to a Japanese person and so I didn't even realize that when I went over there but her energy was pure right and so it was going to the source culture was going to the source place and then also being open to learning to someone who honors it and is actually studying to be a tea master right now, like very much entrenched in Japanese culture and cooked all Japanese food while I was there. And again, it's married to a Japanese man and, but actually is a French born woman. So I'm not saying that people can't honor the culture who aren't a part of it or, but I just don't find that that's the norm that you're saying, you know what I mean? So. No, it, yeah. it's, it's not. That's why it's so beautiful and powerful that you went and i'm curious how you like you were called to do it i think and i'm and we're not going to talk about it there's not enough time but like you for sure in a past life you know japan and you have like yeah a, japan and me are good friends you're good friends <laughs> 100 for sure uh, you're working with clients as a practitioner as working with reiki other energy modalities sound bath sound healing like right all all the things mm -hmm. that you've studied and learned you're doing that today. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the importance of going to the sources, the cultural sources, the significance of that. And you also mentioned a little bit ago, your friends sort of like asking, is there space for you, you being mm -hmm. you in this wellness, white privileged world of ours here in LA? And I'm curious how that's going for you. Does that feel, I don't know, hard does that feel like a mission still is that still part of it does it feel like is there space are there things that you have to do in order to make space can you be just you and is it like shifting at all since you started i'm lucky that at this point in my life i don't have a choice but to just be me and is it working is such an interesting question because while i was like trying to figure out a media career and all this stuff i just felt like i got to be in control of everything and this chapter of my life is 
it's just like a huge service project almost is how I view it. And so I am just surrendering to whatever happens. So the idea of it working is something that I still struggle with, but I try not to think about the idea that I know what working quote unquote means, but it is hard, but life is hard. Like that's what makes life meaningful. The, that it's not easy to do what you want or get what you want or what you thought you wanted out of something. The difficulties are, well, there's, there's many, but part of it is that I am trying to invite people who don't see a space for themselves. And me being in it doesn't necessarily mean that they now see a space for themselves. They may just see me as a weirdo, you know? <laughs> and so, and getting people to come once is different than people being regular with something. And there's been so many people who have come to Soundbass and been like, oh, that's what that is or does, or that's how that feels. I didn't realize, man, I was seeing colors. I was hearing voices. I saw visions. I, I didn't know. Awesome. You know, I'm here. I do this every week. I'll see you in six months. You know what I mean? Like they, it's just not a practice for people, even when the exposure. Yeah. And sometimes for me, that's been difficult to come to terms with because for as soon as I experience it, I'm like, oh, I have to be doing this more. But I realized that part of that was because I was already on a spiritual path right. and I was looking for ways to access more where some people just want to come twice a year and feel good. And that's completely fine. I'm not trying to like put my expectation or like my projection on them. But then also coming from the world I come from, I am trying to figure out how to basically be funded through corporate engagement. Can I come in, do coaching, wellness coaching for people? Can I come and do a sound bath for your affinity group? Like, can I figure that out so that I'm able to, if not give away, like have a tremendous discount for things that I'm doing that are more community based or meant to like one of the biggest differences between my sound bath on Sunday and church on Sunday is you have to pay to come to my sound bath. You know right. what I mean? Like it's not an offering that you're that and I think there's something to keeping the balance. Uh, and so when you give something you you have something in exchange and I think that there's something to that. But also I would love to be able to lower that barrier to entry, but I don't want that to be at the expense of like my son eating and that's dramatic but like no it's true it is it's my real. this i quit my job to do this full time and so this is my livelihood now and so figuring out that balance of like i want to expose other people to it but also you know rent is still due and those sorts of things trying to so yeah, it is it's not the easiest thing that i've <laughs> embarked on but it is the most rewarding by far fatherhood is like you know one of the it's hard to beat fatherhood but it's definitely one of the most rewarding things i do and and honestly i bring my son along with me on the journey like this morning he woke up earlier than he normally does and walked in on my meditation and he just laid at the foot of my bed as i was meditating he knows the deal he comes with me in my sanctuary oftentimes and meditates he was setting up for a sound bath with me last week two weeks ago so it's not to say that those things are separate yeah the only reason I'm on this path is my children, actually. They're my, they've mm. been the catalyst to, to mm. it, which is interesting. They're into it. Well, one of them. Oh, oh, yeah. Wow. That's awesome given their ages. Right. But now it's getting tricky with school and, yeah. you, know, you know, all the things. Yeah, yeah. But uh, from a natural 
date, she really wa- came into the world with, oh, yeah, Reiki. That makes sense. Yeah. Naturally putting the, you know, just a natural, in the way I'm sure you were as a child, right? Without having the understanding for what that was. So it's interesting. It's interesting to be a parent that, not to say that I don't have that as well, but I don't know if that, I, I mean, I think we all are in tune with gifts that we have, right? That mm-hmm. are just natural to us. And mine, I certainly can you know, do Reiki and my natural gift is not that, but that's hers. So it's just like an interesting Mm. thing to be brought into it. And Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm finding, I don't know if you're finding this as a parent to find ways to bring it in more and that feels authentic and not also like dogmatic too. I'm finding like she was homesick yesterday. I'm like, let's meditate. And she's like, I don't want to meditate. Stop. Annoying. Uh, <laughs> but then like she'll stay sit outside and like talk to the birds so yeah you know right yeah which uh, yeah children okay another quick story my son's mother is ethiopian and comes from a long line of i was gonna say women but people overall but w- women that i've known or heard about that are very spiritual very spiritually in tune interpret dreams messages comes to them via dreams and so when she was pregnant with our son her grandmother who had since passed like had passed on by the time this happened but she came to her in her dream from the spirit realm and said your son will be a healer and so we named our son rafa Hmm. because of that and so it was also i felt a little bit of like why am i hiding my healing modalities from the healer like that doesn't make any sense so there's definitely a piece of that but for me i know that if i if i suggest it if i force no if i suggest probably not but it's only if i invite that he'll come that's just how he's built and so i'll just leave the door open and say hey i'm gonna meditate you can join me if you want to and he'll come in and sometimes, like, if it's a guided meditation, he's like, I never thought they were going to stop talking. Like, he he has his things that he likes and doesn't like. And he can't do a sound bath for an hour. Like, he's seven. He's not going to sit still or lay so still. So what do you do when, when he's there? He came to set up with me. I, I messed up my back. So he was helping me set up and all the things. And then I just told him, in the space that we have, there's another room. I just told him to bring his iPad and he went to another room. And then... He likes to play the tongue drum. So that's the last instrument that I play. So I brought him in when I was playing the tongue drum and like let him play it while I played the bowls and stuff. So we, we figured it out. But yeah, it's been nice to like bring him on this journey in the practice in the studio that I work out of was recently in an article and he saw it and he was like very excited about it. So I think he's like kind of into it now. I have a last question for you. Tell me. This is the ritual house. So this I'm is curious. the ritual house. The ritual house. So I'm curious if there is a ritual that has moved you recently in your life, either as the facilitator of it or a witness or a participant. Mm, I'm torn between two things. There's like a capital R ritual, I guess, and then like a lowercase r ritual. I guess since I mentioned it, I should just say both, if that's okay. Please do. So the lowercase r ritual actually relates to like self-acceptance and self-love. It was something that I realized that I thought that I had until somebody questioned it or like didn't see me in the way that I saw myself. And then I was tempted to take on their ideas of me. And I was like, oh, wait, I thought I was firm. And so that that kind of started me on my process. 
But one of the things that I started doing was dedicating time every week to small things. And I think things that come more naturally to women, on honestly. So like, um, like a face routine, hair, like just actually sitting with myself and showing myself some love, if that makes sense. And that has been a powerful thing. Whenever you take time for yourself and it's non-negotiable, you put yourself first in that way. I think it sends a signal that you're important, you matter to your psyche. And people talk about making the bed every day and showing up for yourself in that way and what that means. And a similar thing, like if somebody can always schedule over your time for yourself because it's not real or it's not a meeting or whatever, then you sort of like telling the universe you don't value your own boundaries. You'll attract people not reflecting your boundaries. And I found that the more that I've created space for myself to show myself love, the more that I've received that and that's come in. So that was one of the things I was thinking about. Mm. But in the spirit of honestly, like trying to change the face of wellness, which is part of what I'm trying to do. I recently did a sound bath for six people and all six of them were black males. And that's never happened before. I barely, I've never had an all male sound bath. I barely get 20% guys to have them all be guys all be people of color and then specifically all be black was like amazing and i didn't it was i was midway through the sound bath before i looked around and realized what was happening and it really like almost overwhelmed me because something that i want to have happen i want it to be normal and mm. it it almost felt normal to the point where i didn't realize it was happening so that was really cool that sounds really powerful and you didn't know it was going to happen before it happened i knew well first of all i thought i was only giving a sound bath to three people and I, I did know when I first got hired for it, I didn't know. But then I real, I came to find out before I did the sound bath that there were three black males. But I didn't realize that there were more people, for one, and then for two, that there that it was. I just didn't. It didn't hit me. It didn't register. I was asked to set up for more people, but I didn't know who that was going to be for because there weren't only black guys around in this thing. But yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here and sharing your Absolutely. self um, with us here, with me. Heno House is Heno House. here at Heno House on Instagram. At Heno House on Instagram, H-E-N-N-O, House on Instagram, or Brendan Lives, uh, which is like my personal page, but most of the stuff is Heno House related stuff anyway, so... Yeah, check uh, it out. Monthly sound baths, yeah. Check it out, follow, go to the monthly sound bath so it could become First a week. First Friday. First Friday, so it could become a weekly thing yes. at some point. So yeah, go yeah. to the First Friday. I think it's at Riverbank, LA. Is that where at you're Riverbank, doing it? At Riverbank, LA. We're right in Mid-City. Perfect. I think it's 5259 Pico. Amazing. If you have a corporation, you know, he does that for, for your... For your yeah. retreats. I have tons of corporate workshops. I can do retreats. I do um, performance coaching. So Great. help me help the people, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, thank you again, Brendan, for being here. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. This was so beautiful. Totally. Um, awesome. Amazing. Thank you.
I'm walking away from this episode with so much in my heart, so so much excitement about the future or the present moment. I hope you are too. I'm thinking a lot about ritual for this week and what we can walk walk into this week with. And one thing that I think that was highlighted in this conversation was self-care. I love what Brendan said about that, really treating ourselves with love and how that can help us in life. And so the invitation for this week is to find a ritual of self-care that works for you. And I know self-care is a buzzword that all of us use over and over again. And it's like, ugh, self-care again. But I don't mean it in the like meme Instagram version. I mean it in the truest sense of what self-care is. Self-care as a spiritual necessity. Self-care as in caretaking for ourselves in a soulful way. And so, yes, that can mean through a bubble bath, let's say. One can take a bubble bath and just have it be sort of just a bath, you know? And one can also make that bath an actual spiritual self-care container, a ritual for themselves. And so my invitation for you is to actually find the thing that you need for yourself this week that can be yours. What is that? Is that a bath? Is that an extra two minutes in the shower? Is that standing on the earth outside before you walk into your apartment or house? Is that taking a walk around the block daily with intention? Is that touching a tree? What is the self-care that you need? Do it for yourself if you can, like three minutes a day. Find something you can do daily or at least a few times this week and make it a ritual of self-care. I know that this is a way to actually save our worlds. If each one of us actually practiced self-care as a ritual, think about that. What would that look like? So do it. Invite your people to do it with you. It could be a really fun treat to do during this winter season. Make it the winter season of self-care. Really glad to have you here. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.